0: Hello and welcome to the Recon Ride, the race preview show from the VeloNews podcast. I'm Dane Cash, and I am Cosmo Catalano, and we're back and we're switching gears from the classics to talk Grand Tours. Woo! You know, I was sad about the classics being over, but uh, now that they're in the rearview mirror, I think I'm sufficiently hyped for daily racing to be here. Yeah, this this whole racing every other day or every couple of days—it wasn't enough for me. I needed every day. <laughs> and it all kicks off on Friday with the season's first grand tour, the Giro d'Italia. And we are here to preview the route, the favorites, give you some predictions. We're even going to hear from one of the contenders, Simon Yates, who's going to be part of Mitchelson Scott's impressive one-two punch alongside Esteban Chavez. It's going to be a good show. Uh, quite a list of favorites for this Giro d'Italia, by the way, mentioning Yates and Chavez. But you also got Tom Dumoulin. You've got Chris Froome. Assuming Maybe. Chris Froome yeah, <laughs> doesn't get sanctioned between now and the start of the race. Or after the race, and we can forget who's there. Yeah, exactly. Um, definitely, that's a bummer of a storyline. But I don't know. What storylines are you looking forward to here, Cosmo?
1: All the storylines. I, You know, I think my my favorite story here is really more the Giro itself rather than any one of the particular contenders. Like in the years that I've been watching cycling, in all respect due to Flanders Classics, has also done a very good job. I think the Giro is the race that's become the most modern, especially in terms of marketing. You look at you look at its webpage and nice webpage. Yeah, it's a nice webpage. And you go there and their lead story is is, you know, Giro d'Italia available in one hundred ninety-eight countries. And it's written in English and it's good English. And you know, there is a time within recent memory when you would go to most of the races owned by the Giro organizer and you'd be looking at a page in Italian with all sorts of scattered information here and there. And uh, it seems like the race is very, very focused and has been for the past couple of years on becoming an international event that draws viewers from all over the world. Uh, I think on the ground, the race still has this reputation, probably deserved, of of being something run by famous people's or important people's cousins. But uh, at least on the marketing front and in terms of accessibility for American audiences, which we'll probably talk about later, uh, the Giro has really modernized more than any other event, and it makes it a lot easier to see – these cool stages and cool racers we're going to talk about and you know, kind of create that buzz around the event in a way that you can't with a race that is much harder to see.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the accessibility is a big deal. And there's a lot of races that will put that kind of thing online. They'll say that they're available, but then you go check and like you notice that in the US there actually isn't a really good viewing option. Uh, but yeah, Giro, I think, is uh, modernizing also in more ways than one. I mean, the, one of the big stories, of course, of this year's year to tell you the race is headed to Israel. Uh, it gets underway with three stages uh, in Israel, which is the first time a Grand Tour has started outside of Europe. Obviously, that is a very big deal. Uh, and then the race will head to Italy after that. But uh, yeah, modernizing in more ways than one. They they do try to mix up the course a lot every year. Uh, it's it's a nice way to get into Grand Tour season because it does keep things pretty fresh. And uh, and as we mentioned, the uh, the start list looks quite strong as well. Uh, again, hopefully the the big Tour de France favorite that is racing this Chirut Italia and the Tour de France this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, hopefully we'll get some resolution on that at some point. One assumes if you're listening to the News podcast, you are well aware of Chris Froome's looming uh, salbutamol case. But um, in case you're not aware of it, uh, Chris Froome, of course, returned an adverse analytical finding for salbutamol at last year's Vuelta. And uh, is currently basically, uh, he's pleading his case, I guess you could say. And this particular drug allows him to do that. Uh, It's a a substance that you're allowed to take a certain amount of, and he was way over the amount. We're currently waiting on that. Uh, result to come back. We haven't really had to touch on it too much during the classics because Chris Froome, as we mentioned last show, really bad at one day racing. That's not something that we <laughs> ever had to think about. Uh, Chris Froome <laughs> and the first couple of classic shows of the year. But now that is Grand Tour season, I guess we've got to talk about it. But uh, that remains undecided at the moment. And so he Indeed. is racing the Giro d'Italia.
1: Yeah, it's uh, kind of Schrodinger's room. We really have to con- consider him in an eigenstate where he is both suspended and not suspended.
0: Yeah, when we talk about favorites, we kind of have to think: Well, what if he gets? Uh, what if he gets banned in between now and the start of the race? Fortunately, that's only three days, so that's a very small window. Uh, for his his state change, but, but even uh, but
1: even even if he gets even if he gets suspended afterwards and the retroactive results removals, like you, you really have to wonder if that's on the other GC contenders' minds. Yeah, if Froome yeah. puts in a heart attack and goes up the road, are they like, you know, I'll, I'm just going to race for that WADA second place or that that Wada first place in the event that this result that Chris Froome gets today doesn't end up lasting? more than a couple of months after the race.
0: Yeah, that's a big question, I think, on a lot of people's minds, is what happens if he does get uh, suspended? Yeah. Will he get to keep the result? Because I don't know that it is clear-cut at this point. I've heard a lot of people suggesting that he will keep the result, uh, Not obviously not the Welta result, but that he might keep the result post, uh, uh, post-suspension. post So I'm, I'm not which, quite sure. Which but. would
1: create something of a perverse incentive for uh, future so I'll beat them all uh devotees
0: yeah and of course as you mentioned a, an incentive to just race for second uh, so all these storylines that we would probably prefer not to talk so much about uh and, and focus on the racing instead but you got to talk about it with Chris Froome here uh but he is one of the big favorites for this race we'll get to that in a little bit but first let's let's talk about this route So the 2018 Giro d'Italia, as we mentioned, starts off in Israel, which is a big deal. It's it's never happened before. Um, And uh, it kicks off in Jerusalem with a time trial. So we're getting into a GC relevant stage right away. And and we're going to focus, I think, mostly on the GC relevant stages, talking about the course preview here. But uh, I will say, and I don't know that this gets said enough, particularly for American audiences, you know, stage battles, even when there's no GC to speak of, uh, are pretty fun to watch. So we're going to focus mostly on the GC stages, but that doesn't mean that you should ignore all the other stages. Quite a few of them, quite a few of those hilly stages that won't have much of a GC impact, but should be good racing. So just want to throw that in there before we then ignore a bunch of these stages that should be good. Uh, Yeah, so the the race kicks off with a short time trial, less than 10K, uh, in Jerusalem. Probably not going to have a huge GC impact, but it will create an initial uh, initial shakeout. Uh, so for the first, basically for the first week, we'll have a general sense of uh, you know who's near the leader, who's near the top of the leaderboard. Uh, but then it's going to kind of be a little quiet, I think, in the GC fight until um, a very challenging stage six. Stage six races to Mount Etna. We saw a race to Mount Etna last year. Uh, It's not going to be all that interesting for the first hour or two, unfortunately, I have to say. But then they just go up, 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 and it looks like quite a challenging climb, as always. That's going to be your first real climber day. Uh, Then it's kind of, you know, kind of quiet day on day seven. And then uh, another really tough one on eight. Stage eight's a challenging stage, and uh, kind of long. Stage nine, really challenging. Uh, Basically, the final 50 kilometers of stage nine are uphill. And um, there's a they're broken into two different climbs, but that sort of finale is going to, I think, find out a lot of riders. Um, We say it every every uh, Grand Tour. Sometimes it's it's unclear just how early in the show we're going to say it. But I think this is a stage where maybe the race could be lost, but not necessarily won. Uh, Stage, (laughs) so stage nine is going to be a tough one, though. (sighs) Yeah, I'm sorry, I had to do it.
1: It's okay, I understand
0: after that challenging stage theres going to be finally a, a rest day well actually that's it's actually the second rest day because of course there is that transfer uh, from Italy uh, and then we get back to racing uh stage 10 I don't think too too much to worry about there you know there's actually a little stretch here of uh softer days days that shouldn't have too big of a GC impact uh, but uh, but then comes uh, stage 14 <laughs> which, <laughs> Yeah, which is uh, featuring the probably the hardest climb in Italy, uh, possibly the hardest <laughs> climb in uh, well outside of Spain. I think there's a challenger in uh, Langleru in Spain, but Montezoncillo is the climb that finishes stage 14. It is not a huge, you know, Alpine high altitude monster. It's not an especially long climb. It's just absurdly steep uh, to the point where uh, too steep. Maybe even I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Uh, the uh, the gradients are in the double digits for much Basically of the way the whole yeah. climb. <laughs> uh, and there's some twenty twenty two sections. It's it's really
1: really awful. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, yeah, drunken pirates deep for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. This is it's a it's a relatively recent addition to the hero I remember the first year they had it in two thousand three. Uh, I think there was initially a plan to have Cipollini transfer onto a full-suspension mountain bike to ride up it because it's the Giro and they're not going to kick Cipollini out for riding a full-suspension mountain bike. Uh, but he didn't actually start that day. Um, but yeah, it's – it's. I mean it's just comically steep uh, to the point that it almost detracts from the racing. I think it, it really sort of – unless you – I really think there isn't, on something this steep, a way to open a lasting gap early in the day. Like, you can do a little burst for maybe a minute or two and get, you know, 20, 30 seconds. Like, we saw Chris Froome lose some time in the Tour de France, I believe it was last year, kind of early on a very steep kicker finish like that. But in terms of, you know, making an early attack, you just can't do it because there's nowhere to recover. There's nowhere to get that back um you you see a lot of motorcycles break down in, on this thing because it's just so unforgivingly steep but it is a spectacular thing to observe uh, it really it really is a humbling climb in terms of of making these superhuman athletes look you know like you and me basically uh, There's not a lot of respite either after stage 14
0: because stage 15 is quite a challenging one as well. Uh, Again, not so much high alpine climbs on stage uh, 15 either, but uh, just repeated ascents. The middle of the stage has a uh, pretty long climb, but then there's three tough ones towards the finish. So no rest for the weary there until finally the second rest day, which comes after stage 15. But then they get right back to GC racing, stage 16, yet another uh, GC type day. And, uh, yet another, you know, kind of one of these stages where, uh, I don't know that the Giro is going to be won there, but, uh, I'm not going to say it, but it's a, it's a 34.2 kilometer time trial. It's much shorter. I think the time trial mileage overall, than we've often seen at the Giro d'Italia, but it's going to be a very important day, uh, particularly for a rider like Tom Dumoulin who really needs this kind of stage to stay in contention, I think, uh, But yeah, I don't know that it's nearly as decisive as in years past, the time trial. It's it's not especially hilly. Uh, It's just a standard 34K time trial. Uh, But it's going to have an impact um, on the race for sure. Uh, Fortunately for the GC riders, a little bit of a rest after that, stage 17. I don't think it's going to break any legs. Uh, But then stage 18, it's one of those kind of roll along for two and a half hours and then just go straight up kind of days. Uh, and, and, uh, as is usually the case in the final week of the race that starts a, a stretch of really, really tough days because this, the 19th stage, uh, features the Chimacopi, the highest point in the race, uh, with the Cola della Finestra. And that's just one of several climbs on the day. Uh, they also climb Sestrier and they finish on, uh, the Jaffrail. So really, really hard day, uh, stage 19, uh, we talked about a couple of those other stages, not necessarily being the high alpine climbs. These absolutely are high alpine climbs. And, uh, the Finestra in particular is a long and very steep, very, very tough climb. So that's going to be a big stage to watch, especially with all the repeated climbs. Uh, and then yet again, stage 20, another repeated climb finale, uh,
1: and, uh, the final mountain stage of the race. So, finally like GC stage I mean it's a it is a classic you know kind of processional final day uh yeah. at the end of the race
0: yep yeah. so if you want to make your difference you got to do it on stages uh 18 19,
1: 20. uh stage 21 in Rome uh, for the sprinters probably I, I like stage 20 um I think it may detract from the GC action on the previous stages but it's a really a very classic kind of mountain day it's long it's just over 200 kilometers which is long if you're going up three cat one climbs in a race that has no hc climbs uh yeah it's it's you know climb like they kind of roll along tv comes on go up a climb go down go up a climb go down go up a climb and finish it is the you know the last day of the race effectively in terms of gc uh so it yeah everything's on the cards are all on the table it's it's not something I like the way the Giro and especially the Vuelta like to kind of play with this formula. They mix things up, try different ideas. So it's kind of cool to see a classic stage like this come back into the mix.
0: And I think you mentioned going down after going up, and that's going to be a big factor here. These are some these are some steep descents. Uh, it's the it's the Giro. The weather is always uncertain. Um, just ask Stephen Croisswijk how important it is to descend in uh, mm. in uh, somewhat tricky conditions on these tricky roads. He, of course, was probably going on to win the Giro two years ago before he crashed and uh, lost his lead. Uh, This is a race that I think you really need to be on it when it comes to descending, and these last couple of stages are a great reason, are a great example of why that is so important. Uh, I don't know, what are your overall thoughts of the route? To me, it looks like it's a pretty climber-friendly Giro, as Giros go.
1: Giri? I think it's Giri, yeah. It's it's definitely, I mean, the TTs are not, particularly compelling um which I think is good with a rider like Froome in the race he's going to have to be active he can't just kind of follow wheels and then add 90 seconds to his pad 90 seconds to his time in the in the time trial ditto Dumoulin Um, I mean
0: as much as I loved Dumoulin's kind of uh bravado last year and as much as I think everybody loved the fact that Tom Dumoulin came back from an uh unexpected roadside nature break uh he is the kind of rider, I think, that does benefit from big time trials and, and kind of staying in the wheels sometimes. So I, I think, yeah, you're totally right. This this
1: should make for a better race. Yeah. I I, I mean, I think it's also good that you – a very hilly race has the potential to kind of mix things up where one strong rider has a bad day early going. Uh, probably not at Aetna. I don't think it's it's tough enough to really shake things up. But if you get a rider who is down early – uh, but still, in the event, I think the the last week of this race particularly provides a lot of launch points to really shake up the the choreographed nature that cycling can sometimes have. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, all right, so we we've brought up a little bit of those contenders. Let's get deeper into that discussion and talk about who we think is going to contend for the 2018 Giro d'Italia. So we've we've definitely mentioned a number of the riders on the start list, uh, and and uh, we should point out as always we're working with a provisional start list. Although we're just a couple of days out now, so
1: hopefully there aren't any big changes yeah. made. To people the start are a little list. more serious about this. And this grand Tours, is true, yeah. It, it's it's a Grand Tour. You don't you don't on a lark decide you're going to do a Grand Tour. Yeah, it's definitely
0: so. a decision that I think requires some planning. Uh, it's one that Chris Froome was planning to do for uh, for several months now. Uh, you know, I guess it is possible that that suspension could come down in between the time we record the show and the time the race starts. But that's Maybe probably he just
1: dropped it on a rest day.
0: Yeah, probably not going to happen. Uh, so he looks like he's going to race. Uh, Schrodinger's Froome, I believe, is is here for the Giro d'Italia. It's Still uncertain for the uh, the Tour de France, of course. To me, you, I, I got to put Froome, uh, you know, at, in in a class of his own in the favorites conversation here. Um, he's the most complete rider, I think, most complete Grand Tour rider in the world right now. Uh, he is one of the world's best time trialists who also happens to be one of the world's best climbers. Uh, I think this climbing abilities often get a little bit, uh, underrated by, by folks who say, oh, well, Nairo is a better climber. I, I think Chris really is one of the best. And, uh, yeah, I think both of those skills are going to come in handy here. And I think one really important thing to point out: doing this Giro-Tour double, which he is trying to do this year, um, in the modern era of cycling, is is practically impossible. It is extremely challenging. It has been tried, and uh, nobody has succeeded at it for quite some time. Um, Nairo Quintana, we saw last year, I think, kind of eased off a bit at the Giro, and then just wasn't good enough at the Tour, and didn't win either one of them. I think with Chris Froome's Tour participation uncertain. I don't think he's going to be holding back at the Giro d'Italia. I don't think he can afford to hold back at the Giro d'Italia. And so when I might be, I might have been concerned about his attempt to do the Giro tour double. I'm not so much now because I think it's, it's possible he doesn't ride the tour. So I would expect him to be going a hundred percent full gas at the Giro d'Italia, which makes him a pretty, uh, pretty formidable contender. He's got the, the, the heavy hitters for Sky to the, the, uh, the, the, the A-team, I think, except for Garen Thomas. He has Wout pulls and Sergio, and now um, two big engines. David De La Cruz as well, a guy who uh, jumped over from Quick Step and I think is a really underrated, very talented rider. So Sky with some serious firepower for the Giro. They're not messing around, uh, this Giro to tell you. It's going to be tough, I think, to take on Sky and uh, Chris Froome, but uh, there is, of course, the defending champion, Tom Dumoulin who last year, I think, really broke out and showed that he's not just a time trialist. It's not It's not like he was up there, you know, dropping Nairo Quintana constantly on the climbs, but he definitely held his own. And uh, this, I think, is an important opportunity for Dumoulin to really cement himself as
1: a worthy GC-type guy. I agree. And I think last year, people... People kind of forget how in control Dumoulin was of the race prior to the nature break, and also how kind of shorthanded his team was. I mean, his best, his best climbing domestique was Simon Geschke, who's a great rider, but like,
0: yeah, some his, injuries. His,
1: there. Yeah, his strength is versatility. Like, it's not, it's not ride at the front of the race in the mountains for forty kilometers. Um, and yeah, so to, to, if you know, if if things go a little better for his for his squad, I I could see Dumoulin being. You know, kind of shades of Miguel Indurain, where you had this this non climber kind of grinding along in the group, uh, kind of like I mean, you could see it last year too, where he you know, he would ignore the big accelerations and slowly rev it up and bring it back. And uh, it, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether he can, whether whether somebody can break that uh, that pattern of racing. So I look forward to that for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think he also benefits from Froome being there because they could be kind of going for the same kind of race, trying to keep it controlled. Uh, And I think that that's going to their their mutual presence, I think, will help. Plus, Tom Dumoulin's got Chad Haga again by his side. American (laughs) massive engine. Uh, So got to got to love that. Uh, Yeah, I think those two guys are going to be, I think, the worthy two top favorites. Uh, But there is a home rider here who I think is going to be challenging uh, and hoping to put them to the sword,
1: as they say, on the climbs. Yeah, Fabio Aru, a very exciting climber, can be a little hit or miss, but also tends to come on towards the end of races and uh, happens to be a pretty mountainous end of this race. He won the 2015 Vuelta. Uh, he's had a bunch of stage wins in the Giro. He's really lit things up. He's on a team that has kind of, I don't want to say struggled this year, but they didn't, at least through their classics campaign, get, I think, all the uh, all the accolades and victories and, and whatnot that they wanted to. Uh, uh, but yeah, he's here. He's strong. He's good. He's hitting the peak of his grand tour racing career. Um, and it's certainly a parkour that plays to his strengths.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, Fabio Aru is, uh, really hoping that he's able to do something here because it's been a, a kind of a two year period where he hasn't quite lived up to expectations. He looked Okay. At the tour of the Alps, the, the, uh, popular tune up race for the Giro, um,
1: stage last year yeah at the tour the chris chris room lost control of the race just a touch
0: this is true uh but but uh, i think he really is hoping to end up uh atop the podium uh, as is his team definitely a team that signed on a bunch of new riders uh dan martin as well signed they, they signed him and uh the results just have not been forthcoming yet but uh this is the big chance i think you know, speaking of guys who really need to do a good result in a grand tour, Thibaut Pinot, uh, I think, has reached a point in his career where it is time for him to perform. And he has also reached a point in his career where he has really rounded out his skill set. I mean, if you look back five years ago, Thibaut was a guy who people didn't think he could time trial. He didn't really descend well at all. Uh, he was just this pure climber. But at this point... He's a very well-rounded rider. He can descend much better than he used to be able to descend. And he's a very, very capable time trialist now. So I think if Pino can have it all go well for three weeks, I think he's entirely capable of winning the Giro d'Italia. That's a big ask because he does just have this weird penchant for screwing something up at some point in the three-week race but he has the talent i think to to really be up there fighting with from with Dumoulin uh and and Aru etc so i think Pinot is definitely got to watch just you, you got to expect him to uh maybe go through some struggles at some point because he d- often has one of those one of those jours Sans. uh i guess we should find the italian equivalent for the for the giro but that's gonna take too much time for me to look up online uh <laughs> He did just win the Tour of the Alps, so, so he's coming in, in in flying form. And uh, and I think Groupama FTJ has to be happy with their shot at this Giro d'Italia. Astana. I don't know if you've been following this sport in the last couple of weeks. They have not had any trouble winning bike races this year. <laughs> and one big reason for that, uh, Miguel Angel Lopez is their their ace in the hole for uh, for the stage races. He is kind of still green in terms of Grand Tour racing. He's only done two Grand Tours. He's only finished one Grand Tour Uh, Last year's Vuelta, but he did finish eighth overall. He won two stages. He is a climbing machine. Uh, He is extremely sprightly when the road goes up. Really loves those really steep gradients. And uh, I, you know, the the sky's kind of the limit for Lopez with his talent. He does have a a tendency to uh, crash. He crashes a fair bit. But uh, I think if he can stay upright, this is a pretty climber-friendly race. You gotta watch out for Miguel Lopez at this Giro, especially since it's a real target for him. And he's had a full season to train and prepare. Last year, you know, he was derailed by injury and and uh, and and that kind of screwed with his his prep. This year, I think he's had a much better prep, and uh, he did quite well at the Tour of Oman at the Abu Dhabi Tour. Uh, he was up there at the Tour of the Alps; he was third overall. So, although Lopez's Grand Tour resume is still pretty small. I think uh, that is a guy who could absolutely come out and and possibly even win the race. I think it's a, a entirely possible that Miguel Angel Lopez <clears> actually wins the Giro d'Italia. Um, definitely a super talented guy, and he's just 24 years old. Uh, he is not, of course, the only Colombian climbing talent in the race. With uh, Esteban Chavez, another rider to watch. Uh, Esteban Chavez forming part of the only real bona fide, uh, I, I think, worthy of of serious conversation. One-two punch in the race. Chavez, of course, alongside Simon Yates. Uh, I think that that's a really strong combination. And uh, it's a pair of guys that should light up this race. They're both not afraid to go on the attack. And uh, I am pretty excited to see what Mitchelton can achieve with their two, you know, up-and-coming, two of their three up-and-coming GC guys. Of course, Simon's brother, Adam, uh, not not going to be at the Giro. I think he's going to be at the Tour of California, by the way. So, of course, tune in to your, to your local World Tour race uh, but Chavez Yates strong one-two punch, good storyline, good enough actually. That I gave Simon a call to ask him, yeah, what's he what's he thinking in terms of strategy? How's it all going to play out, and 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 more. Uh, so here's Simon Yates. Simon Mitchelton, Scott going into the Giro with a with a two pronged approach. You and Esteban Chavez, uh, do you guys have a sense right now of what that's going to look like and, and how the strategy is going to kind of play out? It certainly seems like both of you have the ability to to be up there and fighting for the overall.
2: Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, we worked well together in the past. We've uh, we have a great relationship. Um, you know, and I don't see why we can't do that again. Um, for sure, it's it's a, it's an advantage that we have two guys. Uh, but not just us two also you um, you know r- Roman Kroor I think is going really well I don't know if you've been watching the r Dan at all but he's been there uh, you know he's been looking really good uh, he's also coming to the zero so we have a great team and I think this is going to be one of our advantages
0: Simon in the past you've had the opportunity to uh, fight for a young rider jersey at uh, Grand Tours and, and you've won it as well at the, the Tour de France of course uh, now, that's no longer an option. Uh, welcome to your mid-20s, by the way. Glad to <laughs> <Yeah>. have you.
2: <laughs>
0: starting to get gray hairs. <laughs> now that you're not able to fight for that young rider jersey, though, do you think that changes the way you ride uh, going off all in for the GC?
2: Um, no. For me, I always... I, well, in the past, I have always raced to win. Uh, you know, outright. Um, it's just, yeah, I've not been good enough. So... In that respect, it doesn't change anything. The preparation is very similar, and of course, you you know, you fine-tune it towards uh, the characteristics of the race. Um, but for me, the actual way you know the way I race would it doesn't change that much. Um, the only experience I have of racing for the for the white was obviously last year of the tour, and same thing. I started out with trying to do the best I could do overall anyway. Um, of course, I didn't, you know, try to do anything stupid where I would, you know, jeopard, jeopard, I can't say word, jeopardize um, the, you know, the white jersey, but always sort of, you know, always going for the overall, um, you know, the, the, the main race, the the yellow jersey in that case, and just had the, uh, the white jersey in the back of the mind. So, you know, I think I think it doesn't change that much the way I race.
0: When you uh, looked at the route for this Giro coming up, uh, was there anything in particular about your skill set that you, over the off season, uh, decided to maybe work on a little bit more, knowing that you're going to be here at the Giro and 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 what the route was going to look like?
2: Um, I think from the start of the year, you know, the Giro has been the target. Um, you know, I've I've done quite well this uh, this spring. You know, I've had some some really nice results, but you know we've always been looking towards the Giro. Um, you know, they were just kind of side goals on the way and stepping stones, if you like. Um, so all the preparation has been, you know, towards the Giro, the, the, the characteristics of the Giro, you know the long climbs, steep climbs, um, very high altitude climbs normally,
0: and just this sort of stuff. Um,
2: so hopefully it's coming together um, for the
0: Giro. Uh, maybe a little more generally, what do you what do you make of the route? I mean, do you think it suits you as a rider? Do you think it suits your team? I mean, what, what's uh, what's your take?
2: Yeah, I think it's good. Um, you know, the Giro and even the Tour, of, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, or whatever. You know, these just super long time trials, and of course, you know, this Giro there's not super many. You know, there's not many many kilometers of time trialing, which I think obviously just suits because. You know, we're only small guys. In, you know, we're going to lose some time to go, I think. Um, and, and and that's a, that's a really big big plus for it, I think. And then obviously coming through, you know, the rest of the team going really well. We, for me, we have one of the strongest teams. You know, you, you know, can you can you name another team because the depth that we have here for this team? I, I'm not sure you can. You know, we really have a have a great squad. Um, and we're really going to have to try and use that to our
0: advantage to win. Do you think that do you have the firepower to take on the likes of a Froome or, or a Dumoulin?
2: Um, I think it comes back to the to the time trials. You know, you got to look at it in a way that with the time trials, you know, in in a way we we're, we're already starting the race a few minutes down. You know, because we're going to lose this time. You know, it's good. There's nothing we can really do about it, you know. I, I, I do a lot of work on the TT bike, but, you know, I don't produce the, the power that is needed to, you know, to really challenge these guys. So
0: Right, right, sure.
2: We're going to lose some time. And, you know, the TT, the prologue, there's the a time trial on day one. So, you know, the race, you know, it really starts from the beginning. Um, So, you know, I, I believe we have a really good chance but we're going to start this race probably probably down already um, in a way. So, you know, that, that affects how we race, but we'll have to see when we get there, you know, uh, um, anything can happen, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, with your results up to this point this year and the way that you've ridden so far, are you feeling uh, good, better than last year or worse than last year? I mean, what's your, what's your current... Uh, how are you feeling in comparison to going into your last couple of Grand Tour appearances? I
2: think just um, for me... Yeah, I'm getting older. I, I feel more experienced um, about the races. Um, this is where I think I've actually done well. Um, this spring, um, just co- sort of knowing the areas better, knowing the roads a little better, which is ah, maybe going to be a problem for the Giro because I, I've i actually never raced in Italy that much. Really not that much uh, days racing there. So we'll have to see. Uh, I'm confident of my of my form. Um, and we'll just have to see. You know, I, like I say, the, the race starts day one. Uh Really, for the GC guys, we have to be ready from the from the gun. And yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out.
0: What uh, what motivated you to take on the Giro this year and, and make it uh, the big goal? What was the uh, what was the big impetus for that?
2: Uh First I've never done it before. Um, right, right. Uh, last year, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, I was uh, I was scheduled to do the Jira and we, we had some last minute plans, uh, you know, changes to our plans. Um, so it's still a race that I hadn't done. And, uh, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, a race with a lot of history um, and a race that I've always wanted to do. You know, so you know why not do it this year? There's no there's no reason not to do it. Uh, you know why not?
0: Simon, much appreciate. I think that's my question. So uh, good luck out there on the road. No worries. Thank you. So that was Simon Yates. Quite a strong uh, one-two punch there. You know, a lot of a lot is said, I think, about the efficacy or lack thereof
1: in Grand Tours of the two-pronged approach. But I think, I don't know, I think it could work. It has worked. I mean, Carlos Sastra won the. 2008 Tour de France arguably as part of a three-pronged approach Uh, but the thing is you really have to be smart about it you have to I think you need a designated plan A and plan B and whatever alternate plans may come kind of going in because especially in a Grand Tour where you're racing for weeks you can't have you know Two support riders with both GC guys and still control the pace of the sure. race. Yeah, yeah. You can't make the brakes. You can't do. There's all this stuff that you're basically dividing your resources in half. So I think if you've got a guy who's strong uh, but not, you know, is a little more uh, likely to take stages, has that, that ability to kind of suss out a tactical win versus just kind of having the physical ability to stay with the favorites on the climbs. I think you really got to protect that one guy with the physical ability and let the other guy do his thing, you know, make make your competitors worry about both riders. Don't put that burden on your team. And yeah. I think a lot of people kind of I mean, I don't know. I'm not in the team car. I don't know what decisions are being made, but from my point of view, I think the when it's been used most effectively, it's it's been used where there's a dedicated rider who's protected and then someone else goes and makes an attack and the other teams can't match.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bahrain Marita here with uh, Domenico Pozzovivo, a guy who is a perennial Giro d'Italia hopeful and a rider who, despite his age, 35 years old, he's had a pretty nice year. Uh, no big wins to speak of, but he was fifth at Liège and second at the Tour of the Alps. So definitely in very strong form. Uh, poor Pozzovivo is a guy who doesn't, doesn't win enough, I think, to constantly stay on people's minds but he certainly is up there enough that he's worthy of uh worthy of being mentioned as a a real contender i think with with Patsavivo, you're gonna get almost for sure unless he crashes a top 10 uh that's just you know you can rely on it from pozzavivo uh the question is will enough other contenders you know have bad days or crash out that he actually ends up on the podium because he kind of needs that a little bit but he's a great climber and, uh, and I think a rider who is coming into form right now, so you, ha- you got to watch uh, Domenico Pozzovivo. Despite, yeah, the fact that he's raced about a billion grand tours already, he should still be up there, I think.
1: a Billion sounds like an over... Okay. An over... Uh, million Statement. Thousand? Billion? Bill, bill, Gajillion? A couple of maybe not as obvious contenders, but uh, George Bennett's a rider I've been watching for a while. He's done a lot of really kind of surprisingly strong support work, uh, famously... Uh, I shouldn't say famously. I made a gif of him a few years ago, when he was riding in support of, of Wilco Kelderman, where he, you know, he's he was basically with the guy the whole time, and then Kelderman melted the glue on one of his tires in the descent. And he burned his hand grabbing it. Uh, it's kind of a the microcosm for the thanklessness of a domestique's job as as soon as he went to go make this tire change, the team car pulled up and gave it gave Kelderman a bike and he was just standing there. Uh, but I, I mean, he's been an incredibly strong, consistent presence for his teams in the climbs. He's never really had a leadership opportunity, although he did win a certain Amgen Tour of California last year. Mm, yes. uh, the, the the GC proving potential of that event has been a little shaky in recent years with winners like Peter Sagan and Julian Adelphilippe not to take anything away from them. Uh, but yeah, strong guy. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in this event. Another guy who's been kind of coming up for a few years is Michael Woods. Uh, not a late a latecomer to cycling, but really developing well, kind of learning tactics, building that, that engine from just pure oxygen processing to having that punch and recover. Rode really well at Liège, I thought, even though he did sort of let the winning move go away. It was understandable at the time. Uh, he's been very strong as he's only raced two grand tours, one really in a support role for uh Rulon last year, but top ten in the Vuelta last year, uh second Grand Tour of the Year too, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh I'm pretty sure he'll have primary support from what has generally been a pretty well organized EF education first straight pack team. We'll see if they uh can support him through all three weeks of the event. But uh, you know, a guy I'm really looking forward to see what he can do in that 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 main group towards the end of this event.
0: Yeah, Woods, I talked to Woods at the start of the season. He was kind of pointing out that he needs to work on his time trial, but also pointing out that just, you know, because he's come to the sport kind of late, he's still kind of finding things out about himself as a writer, and he'll realize, oh, hey, I'm actually pretty good at that. Of course, he was second at Liège. We knew he was punchy, but uh, I would say don't be surprised if Woods isn't awful in the time trial uh, because. He is sort of this, this kind of strange case where he's worked on things recently and kind of found talents that he wasn't quite sure he had. I'm not expecting him to tear up the time trials, but uh, I do think it's possible that, you know, just with a little bit of work like he's done over the off season, he could kind of improve dramatically just because it's not something that he's done so much in his career, his, his relatively short career, despite being 31 years old. Uh, Woods definitely, he's a rider to watch. You know one uh, potential GC guy that maybe not getting a lot of notice because he hasn't really done much in a Grand Tour or really much period yet because he's definitely still a youngster, but he's got a lot of talent. Hugh Carthy, uh, EF Education First. Uh, I think behind Mike Woods, that's a nice second option and a guy who could also be up there fighting for stages. Uh, he's a great climber, uh, young young Brit, twenty three year old uh, Briton, and. Looking for that Grand Tour experience, but uh he's very promising, and I think and I think uh, EF's going to be glad to have Woods maybe taking some of the pressure off as Carthy goes for a, an early result in a Grand Tour. Uh So that's my kind of that's my kind of under the radar rider for this year. To tell you, my my hashtag stealth fighter uh for this year. To tell you, if you will, Um another rider to watch. I think Louis Menches is a guy who's been kind of talked about as an up-and-coming GC guy for quite a few years. He's been in that conversation for a, a while now. But uh, last two, three years, he's definitely come on strong and, and put in some GC top tens. Uh, with with Menchies, I think the, the question is actually how you know how high can he go? What is his ceiling as a rider? Is it just these top tens, or is he capable of more? He's not the best at a time trial, but this is a climber-friendly Giro. I think that's going to help. And uh, I, I think... You know, back with Dimension Data this year, he's I think back in familiar surroundings, and I do like Mensa's chances to uh, at least contend for a podium. I'm not sure exactly how high he'll rise, but uh, he's still 26. Even though we've been talking about it for quite a few years, and I think that should that should definitely help. Uh, so some of the other contenders that we definitely did mention, uh, BMC is coming with their own one-two punch. Uh, I think one of those riders maybe has a. Better chance both of finishing in the top five and also of not finishing in the top 50. Uh, Rowan Dennis is kind of going through his GC experiment at the Giro d'Italia this year. He's hoping to become a Grand Tour kind of rider. He's here alongside Nicholas Roche. I think Roche probably... I think Roche probably far more likely to, uh, you know, land a top 10. But uh, Rowan Dennis, I think probably a much higher ceiling. All the talent in the world... So, Rowan Dennis is uh, hoping to make it happen here. And he's had a really nice year so far. Uh, won some time trials. Won the Abu Dhabi time trial. Won the Toronto time trial. Looked good in Romandie. So, uh, yeah, I think Rowan Dennis has a chance to uh, to make a mark here. And then, of course, Nicholas Roche is uh, always a guy to watch in the Grand Tours. Uh, so, BMC with a nice little little, uh, little one-two punch there. Uh, other riders I'm I'm trying to keep an eye on at this race in terms of the GC. Uh, it's probably worth noting that Sky has Wow well, Pools and Sergio. And now, just in case something does happen to Chris Froome, you know, they'll have nice guys to kind of take up the mantle. What about some stage hunters, though? Because we did talk about, it's not only about the GC. Uh, this is a good race in terms of stage hunting. I think that a lot of the stage battles are are often really entertaining at the Giro d'Italia. You get these Italian pro Connie squads who just live for this race. This is the race that their whole season is built around. Uh, and then, of course, there are always a couple of sprinters, and and uh, for me this year, Elliot Viviani is kind of head and shoulders above the sprinting, uh, the sprinting crowd here. He's definitely got the best legs, I would think, of any of the fast finishers in this race. That is, of course, partly due to the fact that friend of the podcast, Giacomo Nizzolo, will not be racing the Giro d'Italia. Sad. Very sad. Uh, knee inflammation keeping keeping Giacomo out. I think Ellie is gonna only really have to contend with uh well the likes of Sam Bennett is a is a guy he's gonna have to battle against. Christian Sparagli for Israel Cycling Academy, another guy uh who could be up there in the sprints. Danny Van Poppel uh at Trek, who is here instead of Giacomo Nizzolo. Uh Sasha Modolo, Andre Guardini, Giacomo Morechko, another guy, I think, who could do something in the sprints. And then yeah, we mentioned the uh Procanti guys. Um you know, Willy Trist, in, a, in addition to Marechko, has a couple of guys. They're going to be in the break every day. Expect it. UAU with Fabio Aru for the GC, but Diego Ulissi always up there in the Giro stages. Uh, Harlan sent Pantano for Trek, a guy that's going to be up there in some stages. Uh, anybody, else, anybody else that jumps out to you, Cosmo?
1: I'd be dartboarding if I brought anyone up. So Yeah, but dartboarding is what it's all about.
0: I mean, Tim Wellens, Adam Hansen, they're all about dartboarding on these stages, you know? Why not? <sighs>
1: I, I, I feel like Adam Hansen has has, has mellowed in his, in his old age. Maybe, he he's, ha, yeah. He's, he's, he's getting up more, there. Uh, yeah. He's more pure support than the, the kind of chancer, chancy guy he used to be. But Fair enough. I, yeah. Again, he is an incredible climber, uh, his size notwithstanding. And if the GC race gets kind of neutralized by the looming stage 20, he could do some stuff later in the race. I'm not saying that he won't factor, but I'm less excited to call him out. Yeah, this is true.
0: Yeah, and then Bardiani, every year, um, sometimes they they have some uh, pre-Giro run-ins with WADA, but uh, they do like to (laughs) mix it up in this race, so... Uh, assuming all, all of their eight selected starters make it to the start line without having any adverse analyticals, uh, Bardiani should be up there on every pretty much every stage. Same with Androni. Pretty much same story for them as well. Uh, those are the teams you're going to expect to see in the breaks every day. Uh, so that's, uh, I think it's a fair rundown. We've talked GC guys. We've talked some of the guys who maybe will factor in the stages. You about ready to do some predictions?
1: Oh, my favorite part. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, I can kick us off here for the Giro. I can't really pick against Chris Froome. I think he's too strong. I think because of the fact he might not race the Tour, I don't expect him to be saving anything, holding anything back. So I guess I'm going to put Chris Froome atop my podium, uh, which it's it's uh, it's tough to do. But yeah, I think he belongs there. I'll put Dumoulin up there as well. I do think Dumoulin's going to come in here climbing very well. I think. He has constantly been improving as a climber, and I expect that to have continued. The one thing with Dumoulin, he hasn't had a great year so far, uh, but he was up there in Liège. He looked pretty good, and I don't really think he's just going to suddenly not be good purely because he had frustrating Tirreno Adriatico experiences or Abu Dhabi experiences. I want to put Pino on my podium as well. Like I said earlier, I think Pino is really ready to take that next step, and uh, I think a podium at least. Uh, is going to be a possibility for him. It does pain me to leave Miguel Angel Lopez off because I think he has the potential to really be up here fighting, but maybe the experience not quite there yet. So hopefully I don't rue this decision, but I'm going to put Pino on my podium instead.
1: Yeah, I, I'm mostly in agreement there. Uh, it is hard to pick against uh, active state Chris Froome. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I like I really to like Schrodinger's
0: well. Froome, but that was a really, it's a really good addition to the, to the cycling conversation. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I, I think he's going to be really hard to beat. I think Dumoulin, I also have Dumoulin in second. I think it's going to be a, a bit closer than I think a lot of people are expecting. Um, but I, I think Froome is, is, I mean, he has been the best for a while. I don't see that many cracks in the armor. I sort of saw some last year, but it turned out they weren't there. Um, and I, I like Woods in third. I think he's going to surprise himself and us as he did in the in the Liege and uh, yeah, that's my uh, that's my podium.
0: I think media members aren't supposed to root for anybody, but I am unabashedly rooting for Mike Woods to do well at this race because I mean he's Canadian first off. Two, he's a cool dude. Three, I love getting some you know some fresh faces out there. So mm-hmm. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for Woods. Uh, Pronou- easily pronounceable name. Also very easily pronounceable. Yeah, Louis Menches, Sorry, but uh, Mike Woods is so much easier. <laughs> All right, so those are our predictions for the Giro d'Italia, the first Grand Tour of the year. It's a very exciting time, uh, as I mentioned. You're going to be able to watch stage racing, except for the rest days, every day of the week for the next three weeks, starting on Friday in Israel, and uh, it's it's going to be uh, an interesting one. Uh, the uh, the The Israel racing there, there's that time trial, but then the next two stages, I don't think they're going to have a huge GC impact, but they could they could be kind of interesting to watch. I mean, they're definitely going to be different terrain, that's for sure, uh, but also some some possibly good stage hunting battles, as we mentioned. Don't just tune in for the GC fight. Tune in for the for the stage battles as well. The Giro always has good good uh, stage victory showdowns. So that's pretty much our uh, our advanced look at the Giro. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. You know, be sure to uh, to tell us. Well, don't tell us if you didn't like it. But if you did, <laughs> send your send your praise to us on Twitter. I'm at uh, Dane Cash. Cosmo is at Cyclocosm. And uh, definitely be sure to uh, tune in to the Giro d'Italia. And, of course, VeloNews will have plenty of coverage from the ground. We'll have more podcasts to come, so stay tuned for more from VeloNews.com and here on the VeloNews Podcast Network. Hope you've enjoyed. This has been the Recon Ride, the race preview show from the VeloNews Podcast. I'm Dane Cash.
1: And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And that's our show.